chapter 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is, the summing up of all in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things together after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, You are praiseworthy. You, God, the sovereign God, the God who saves, the God who redeems, the God who adopts, the God who gives an inheritance to sinners who have been redeemed. We praise your holy name. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship from now on and forevermore. Father, you are good and gracious and kind. Holy Spirit, work in us now that we may see the glory of Christ and that we may understand you and that we may worship you, the triune God, as you are worth. Help us now, Lord, to know you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As mentioned in Sunday school, we come to this amazing passage and I, uh, as mentioned, I, I posted the idea that it, 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 for me, it seems as though I'm standing out, looking out at the Atlantic Ocean on the east coast of Florida, and I see just how amazingly large the Atlantic Ocean is and all that's there, and then being told 
take all that you see over on this coast and move it to the Gulf Coast. Take everything you see, pick it up, and move it over to the Gulf Coast. This is an absolutely amazing passage. It's uh, mind-numbing. As I mentioned last week, it is one sentence in the Greek. It's a giant, pregnant, run-on sentence. A divinely given run-on sentence. Yet in this passage, we see what biblical worship is all about. What it's supposed to be about. Rather, who it is supposed to be about. So what is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? Briefly, what worship is not. It's not emotion for the sake of emotion. It's not doing religious activities without a heart truly motivated by the object of worship. It's not mindlessly repeating truths without hearts really in awe of God. Biblical worship is not performance. Biblical worship is not entertainment for the worshiper. It is not seeking to be noticed by God or others. That's not biblical worship. Sadly, I think that that is what's done in many cases in evangelical churches today. That It's not biblical worship, it's more about entertainment and about emotional experiences. So what is biblical worship? Put simple, it's verses 3 through 14. That's biblical worship. This is biblical worship. Biblical worship is awe and wonder over new reminders and understandings of the great worth of God. It's acknowledging the worth of God for who He is and what He's done. Biblical worship is praising God out of an accurate view of God and ourselves. Genuine worship makes much of God, not the worshiper. That's why content is more important than performance or even genre of music. What we say and what we believe matters way more than the genre or the loudness or the excitement of the music. Worship is exactly what Paul's doing in these verses, these 14 verses. This is a worship hymn, and it's led by God. This passage is a glimpse into heaven's worship, and it should produce worship in all of us, his children. If you've been born again, and you have trusted in Christ, this passage should make you worship. And this worship won't stop on Sunday. This worship should reverberate throughout your whole week and how you live. So today we're going to learn that God is worthy to be praised because of who He is and what He has done for His children in Christ. Notice in the very first verse it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. This verse... It gives us both an introduction to Paul's pregnant sentence of worship 
and a summary of that sentence of praise. I want to try to show you how this praise hymn connects with the main idea. Paul weaves these three themes down through the entire worship hymn, and arguably these themes are going to be weaved all the way to the end of the book. So what I did was, I inside your bulletins, you should have a handout, a big one. It kind of stuck out today, right? You have that? Pull that out, please. Luke's going to walk down the aisle. If you didn't get one, I have some small ones for you. So Luke, walk down the aisle. Anybody that can get one, raise your hand. Here's one. Okay, and he's going to give those out as he makes his way to the back. It's very important that you have one, and if you don't have one, there's some extra ones right here. Dad has a few um, if you need one. Um, Just keep your hands up, and Luke will make your way all the way around. You have some people all the way around, Luke. You need to have this, though. So you need to be able to look onto it. And there's a reason, because I have uh, outlined this so that you can see it very clearly. It will help visualize. You'll understand the passage, I promise, a lot better with this. Okay? This is arguably one of the hardest passages in the Bible to understand the flow and the argumentation of it. And I admit that if you read your Bibles, you look at the different versions of the Bible, you'll see uh, different places where emphases are made and where periods and punctuations are made. And it gets very confusing. If you look at the King James and the ESV and the NASB, they all have differences in them. More than normal. More than when you're going through the gospel. And it has to do with some very difficult determinations you have to make as you're going through it. And I'm not saying that mine's perfect, just so you know. I don't think it's perfect. But by the grace of God, I've tried to give you what I think the main emphasis of the passage is. And I think you'll see it as it unfolds. Notice that there in your handout that there's three colors. I did it color-coded for you. There's colors. Blue, green, and red. Blue, green, and red. And it all unfolds in that very first verse. The three main themes are seen in the very first verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would be blue. That would be praise. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That would be the work that God has done. And then finally, in heavenly places in Christ. That is where it all happens. And so this is the outline of the whole praise Him. And it just goes and repeats those three themes throughout the thing. And sometimes it intertwines them so that it doesn't start where you want it to start. But it's there and those themes are there. I I was going to uh, bring in a rope that was really brightly colored with yellow and blue and green. And then wrap them together. And then I thought, well, that would take too long. That would miss the whole point. But that's what it's like. It's like weave together these glorious truths. And it produces this. When you finish, you go... Wow, God, you're amazing. That's what it's supposed to do. This is one sentence, and it is a big apologetic for the inerrancy and perfection of God's Word. What do I mean by that? 
It is so precise and so intricate and woven so perfectly that there is no way in the world a human mind could come up with this. There is no way, if I would have sat down and said, okay, Mike, I want you to write the best sentence you've ever written in your entire life that explains who God is and what God has done and what He will do in Christ, I want you to write it all in one sentence. I would sit there for 200 years. I I won't be here for 200 years. 200 years and wouldn't even come up with something close to this. It is just it. It's one of those where you, at the end, after studying all week, I went, oh, oh, I need to get under the floor. I just saw the glory of God. It's that amazing. And somehow I have to somehow give this to you. This is the impossibility of the job of an expository pastor. It's a masterpiece of God's glory. God, through Paul, weaves these perfect, these ideas and themes into a perfect hymn of praise for himself. We could probably study this one passage for weeks, but I'm not going to do that. We're going to study just this passage, and by the grace of God, we're going to finish. Yes, I cut a couple songs out. No, we're going to do them at the end. Hang in there. It will cause you to worship, I promise. The blue is a call to praise the triune God. The green is who God is and what He has done. The red is where the glory is revealed in Christ. And you will follow this all the way through the passage. Let's trace down. First, we see our proposition statement. What what is it all about? What is this 3 to 14 all about? God is worthy of praise for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. Notice all three colors. They fit perfectly even in our statement. So what what we're going to do is trace down through these. There's three sections that we're going to look at. God's glory in Christ. God's revealed in Christ. And to the praise of God's glory. Those are the three points. Now notice, if you notice, I'm backing up. Do you see what I did? I'm backing up. I'm starting... No, I'm not. In Christ. And then I'm going to who He is and what He has done. And then we will finish with God is worthy of praise. Do you understand? That's the outline. I'm going to start with in Christ. Now I'm going to go to who He is and what He's done. And then we're going to end where we need to end, which is where? Worship. Which is what the whole point of the passage is. What Paul does is he starts in a call to worship. And then what he does is he lays out all the reasons and throughout it, at middle points and in certain sections, he goes, to the praise of God! To the praise of God! And he breaks out in worship and then finishes with worship. Okay? You'll see it as we go along. So let's start with the red. God's glory in Christ. It's found in verses one through or 3 through 14. And especially verse 10. If you mark your Bibles, you can mark your Bibles in verse 10. God's glory in Christ. Now, I want to talk to you about this concept of in Christ. It is very important and it's found all the way through this passage and you have to understand it. This is the realm of Christ's rule and reign. This is the spiritual realm of Christ Jesus in heavenly places. 
You say, well, we're living on earth. What does that matter? Everything. Because what comes from the throne in heaven is what? It's what controls ultimately what happens in this world. The throne of God's grace and the throne of Christ ultimately is working through the world today too. But everything is being put in Christ. Everything is being put in His spiritual, in His spiritual reign or His realm of reign. We will see this theme goes all the way down through the, the, the praise hymn. His sovereign authority is developed throughout the book of Ephesians, though. That he is Lord. He is sovereign. He's in control. But Paul definitely introduces that theme of in Christ. This is the Lord Jesus' realm. Notice in verse 3 it states, in heavenly places, in Christ. But then notice throughout the section, look at your handout, you'll see... Paul ties all these spiritual blessings and the reason God is worshipped into in Christ. So just before we get started on that, just think for a second, is there any other way to worship the one true God if Christ Jesus isn't the main focus of everything that you do and think? That's pretty exclusive. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was right. It's all going to be in Him and under Him, and He will rule over it all. I promise. Without faith in Him, there is no hope. Because the only other place for those that don't believe in Him is under His judgment at the end, when He comes to return as the wrathful Lamb of God, and then puts people by force under His feet. So how does God accomplish all that He has done? And why is God to be praised? Notice verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In verse 4, we see that. Then in verse 4 again, it starts with, at the very end, we see... Come on, where are you going? There it is. Please... There it is. And one more. There it is. Okay. <laughs> I know I didn't push that again. You can see it in your handout, right? Look at your handout. Look at the end of verse 4. You see that little phrase, in love? In love? Now it's doing it. I'm not even touching it. It's decided to go on its own. You see, in the end of verse 4, it says, in love. And some put the period right before in love. You see that? We talked about it last week. What is in love? Well, ultimately, that's in the realm of Christ's rule. In His love. In Him is perfect, holy, beautiful love. And in His love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So it's all in the Beloved. Who's the Beloved? I'll give you a hint. It's the one that we're talking about. It's Christ. He's the loved one. The loved one of the Father. Everything is in the Beloved. 
It's in His fear. All of this is occurring in His rule and in His reign. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. It's in Him. Then verse 8 and 9 it's at the end of 8, it says, In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, which He purposed in Him. So, what is in wisdom and insight? What is in all wisdom and insight? It's in the reign of Christ. It's in the realm of Christ. He is the all-wise one. It's all of that. In His wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, which He purposed. That is, God purposed in Christ, the end of verse 9. Then verse 10, it states, with a view to the administration which is suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. And I have in mind, in the Christ. They dropped that article, but it's the Christ. It's the only one. It's in Him. Everything is about in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth in Him. So what does this mean with the view to the or looking to the primary plan of God's plan in Christ? Beloved, verse 10 is the whole, the crux of it. That everything that God is doing is in the realm and rule of Christ and everything's being brought into subjection under Him. He is the administration. He is the one that is ruling. It is His administration. And everything's being put under Him. And it's all being summed up in Him. Now, you, you can't even begin to fathom the depths of that verse, verse 10, that everything God is doing is being all for putting it in subjection and under Christ's rule and reign. That's His plan. He's doing that. You know what our biggest problem is, though? (laughs) We interpret the world with our eyes and our ears more than the Word of God. Do you understand what I mean by that? We look out and we think, this guy's the administration, or that guy's the administration, or this king's the administration, or this country's the administration, or this thing's happening. But we're seeing things with our eyes and we're not seeing things through the Bible's view. The Bible's view is this. Christ is on His throne. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated on His throne. And everything is being put under Him. Everything is. But Mike, it looks like a disaster around here. Everything's falling apart. Don't trust your eyes. Trust the Bible. But what about the virus? All things are being put under Him. How do I know? Because the Bible says it. But do you see how this applies to so many things in our lives? If we see things as all being under Him... And that He's the sovereign authority. It changes the way that we interact with our kids, with our families, with our co-workers. It changes everything. Because now, everything that's coming at me with my eyes does not determine what's really happening. 
What's really happening is Christ is king. And all is under him. And God in his providence has already ordained for everything to be under him. Jesus Christ is Lord. Who gets all the credit today? Him. It's about Christ. Ephesians 1.11, notice, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. In whom, that is, in Him, in Christ. In Christ also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, In whom you also, after listening to the message of truth, things killing me today. In whom you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom? In Christ. Salvation is found in no other one than in Christ. In His realm and in His rule. Verse 13. In whom also, that's not in many of your translations, but it's a literal translation of it. They drop it, I don't know why. It's in Him also having believed. You were sealed. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what's the point? What's the point? This whole whole thing, this whole praise, this whole worship of God starts with that it's all occurring in Christ. It's all occurring in the Son. And it was established beforehand. Remember, it was predetermined predestined, you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. God has established who is going to be His children, who are going to be His redeemed heirs before the world began. Now stop, let that sink in for a second. That means that God has determined who are His children before there was even a speck of time. One little sand that dropped through the hourglass. He had determined all of it from beginning to end. That's my number. No, I mean, he determined, predetermined, predestined my adoption, our adoption. If you are a believer, it was predetermined before the world began that you would be adopted as children. But Mike, it looks like this world's out of control. It can't be out of control if it is. Then somebody would die before the adoption happened. Do you understand? Nobody dies before God has determined for them to die. This should make you go, Wow, God! That means you know every step I'm going to take and every thought I'm going to have before I even say or do anything. He predetermined that I would be adopted as child before the foundation of the world. Christ rules and reigns in perfect love in His realm. Christ is the beloved, the loved of the Father. Christ is where redemption is found. It's in Him. Christ's reign is in wisdom perfectly. Christ's administration is working and all things are being put under Him. 
Inheritance. Inheritance is found in Christ, no other place. Truth is found in Christ, no other place. The gospel of salvation is found in Christ, no other place. It's in His rule and in His reign. It's in Him. And the Holy Spirit dwells in Christ. That's, that's, we could stop there, couldn't we? Have we even, and we've only just began to think on the glory of this passage. We should all just like, oh, God, you are amazing. You did all this and you have ordained all this to happen in Christ. God is glorified in Christ, isn't He? God is worthy of worship because God's purpose in Christ, right? Jesus Christ is being made the preeminent over all creation. He is firstborn over all. He is first place over all. He is Lord over all. And one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you look at your eyes. You look with your eyes. It doesn't look that way, does it? Don't let your lying eyes forget this truth. God is doing all this in Christ. Next main idea is, is what is He doing in Christ? What is He doing in Christ? God's glory revealed in Christ. It's not showing up. I don't know why. It's just happening today. Thankfully, you have notes. God's glory is revealed in Christ. Again, one through three, let's talk about it. Why do we worship God? Why do we worship the God of the Bible? Ultimately, it's because of who God is and what God has done. Again, it is occurring in Christ. God has shown Himself and is showing Himself. He has revealed Himself as a trinity. Is God a trinity? Absolutely. Is this a hill to die on? Absolutely. It's the only God of the Bible. He is a triune, perfect God. How do I know? Because the passage shows me. It says it. He has revealed Himself as a trinity. That means that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. However, they are all God. How is that? There's one God. They are all three persons of the Godhead. There is one God. There are three persons. This is the way this is described. It's, it's, a, it's been from very early on. This is how it's been described. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But they are all God. Each one of them is God. There is only one God. That is the triune God. You understand? And throughout the whole of Scripture, this is how it's described. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. There's one God. Three persons. It's revealed in this passage. The Trinity is revealed in this passage. He is revealed. Notice in verse 3, it states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that it, where, there's two members of the Trinity here, right? There's two members of the Trinity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where's the third? 
I'm not going to tell you yet. We'll get there. Where's the third? Actually, we can make an argument as we go down through this. <coughs> the focus of the hymn breaks down into three sections. <coughs> and those three sections are revelations of the Trinity. In verses 4 to 6, we see, it appears, an emphasis on the Father's work. The focus. The God, God the Father, chose us to adoption as sons and daughters. Obviously, if we're adopted, there's an emphasis here on what? The fatherhood of God, right? Adoption. The Father did all of this in His Beloved. That He did it in His Son, the Loved One. So there's distinction, isn't there? The Father did it in the Son. The Father is not the Son, but they are both God. Does everybody understand? 4 through 6, it appears to be the Father. 7 through 12, it appears to be the focus is on the Son. In Him, through His blood, which God purposed in Him. The summing up of all things in Christ. The whole section there is about who? The Son. And the work in the Son. And hope is found in who? The Son, in Christ. The second member of the Trinity is emphasized in verses 7 through 12. And then finally in verses 13 to 14, the Spirit appears to be the focus. How do we see this? We were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal. The Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit who is the pledge of our inheritance. So the Trinity is revealed in this. So it's very interesting, though, in each section, you also have little nuggets of the other members. And I'm not going to go back down through it, but you ought to do it in your spare time. It's like Trinity, 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 the whole time. So if you're not praising the God of the Bible, that's Trinity, triune, three persons and one God, you're not praising the only God. If you do not believe in the Trinity, you do not believe in God. The God of the Bible. How important is that? It, very important. Do the Mormons, do the Jehovah Witnesses worship the same God? They do not. They do not. There is only one God. It's the God of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. That's how it is. And that's what true worship is. That's the first point of that second section. Second one, God's glory is revealed in His work in Christ. This is when it gets mind-numbing. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working. God is working. How is God working? God chose us in Him. God chose us in Him. That we should be holy and blameless. That we would be holy and blameless before God. What does that mean? That means before the foundation of the world, God chose a certain people, a certain group of people, that those people would one day be before Him holy and blameless. Now why is that significant? That's significant because God is the one that chooses. And that's significant because He's choosing from sinners. 
He chose from sinners to be holy and blameless before Him. Which means what? He's ordained that God would save sinners to be holy and blameless before Him. That is God's grace, isn't it? To the praise of the glory of His grace is what it says at the end of that section. Who gets credit? God does. He chose us and makes us holy and blameless, not guilty before Him. This is an act of His kindness and grace alone. He chose those whom He would give faith before the foundation of the world. Even your faith, do you understand that your faith is in Christ, which means that you were ordained in that, and therefore you believe because He gave you belief. You believe because of Him. If you're here to worship Jesus Christ, it's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. And I don't know about you, but this will make me jump to the top of my... Yay! Hallelujah! Praise God! You chose me! Why me? Until I was saved, it was, why don't you choose me? Why don't you choose me? Now that I am saved, I know, why in the world would you choose me? It's crazy! Why would he choose me? Ha! And he did it before the foundation of the world. Why did He do it? What was His purpose? So that I would be holy and blameless before Him. The sinner. (laughs) Not only did He choose us, He also predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Adoption as sons? We are made God's children by God's predetermined plan. Why was I adopted? Oh, it reminds me of the two adoptions that I have. Why did God adopt me? Well, why did I adopt the ones that I adopted? Well, there was this process that I looked at, and we looked at the paper, and we said, okay, yeah, it looks like this would be a good fit with us, and this will match, and yeah, and some person told us in Hillsborough County that she would be a good match for our family. What does that mean? That's not adoption with God. (laughs) God's adoption of us is predetermined for the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption. He chose me to be His child in Christ because of His will, not mine. And not because I was worthy. And not because you're worthy. If you're His child, He predetermined that you would be His adopted child. Doesn't that make you just want to say, Hallelujah, praise God, you're good! Thanks, I'm your child. I know I sound like an absolute lunatic, but again, I'm, I'm there. I'm in the midst of the glory of God. I'm worshiping Him. He is so good. Who wants to speak in tongues? I just want to glorify Him with a good tongue. In English. Or Spanish, if I could speak it, I'd do it right now. I'd break out. But I can't speak Spanish. God is good. He chose me to be adopted as child. 
And we have been redeemed through His blood. Redeemed. We have been released from captivity. From the captive position that we have. This release happened by Jesus' death on our behalf. It's what it says. We are no longer slaves, but we are His sons and His daughters. We're redeemed. We're out of captivity no longer. (laughs) Praise God! He ordained all this before the foundation of the world and it all works together in Christ. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us. Hallelujah. What a God, right? We don't even need to get to the last point because we're already doing it. I'm jumping the gun on the third point. Why? Because that's the whole point of this. You can't get here and see these glorious truths that I'm no longer a captive anymore. I'm free because of what Christ did. I cannot stop worshiping Him. And that's what He's doing, beloved. That's why He goes to to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Because as He reflects on the glory of God revealed in what God is doing in Christ, He worships. He made known to us the mystery of His will. I'm ready for the rapture right now. Made known the mystery of His will, which He purposed in Christ. God has opened the eyes, our eyes, those who believe to understand everything is in and for and by Christ Jesus. We get it, don't we? We know everything is about who? Jesus Christ. We know it, don't we? Why do we know it? Because He's revealed the mystery of Christ to us. We know that Christ is the sovereign Lord. We understand because He changed our hearts and our minds. We understand Jesus is God incarnate who came into the world to die for sinners And He died. And He rose from the dead. And He ascended to heaven. And He sits at the right hand of God. He intercedes for us continuously. And He will return one day. And all of His enemies will be a footstool for Him. He will reign forever. And how do I know? Because He's opened my eyes to know this truth. And He gets all the glory, doesn't He? I know I sound like a crazy man, but it's like it's been here all week. Wow, God! You are too much! You are worthy of every bit of my worship the rest of my life. All the time, take my life, do it! Use me! Are you getting this? If you're not, beg God to show you His glory. And that is my prayer for you. That is my prayer that you will understand the hope of His calling. But I'm jumping ahead. Counseling class, do you get this? Somebody comes to me and they they say, I want this problem fixed in my life. Do you know Christ? 
It's almost like you got to go. Do you know him? Things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. We've had our sins forgiven. We've obtained an inheritance. He's revealed the word too. (laughs) He'll probably go past it and then come back. Don't know why it's doing this. No idea. (sighs) Verse 11. Lord, you know, you are sovereign over of PowerPoints. Maybe it was just so I could catch my breath, right? We've obtained an inheritance. This means that we are heirs with Christ. We are no longer slaves, but we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. God will share his glory with us. We're going to see and know and enjoy God in the fullness of his glory as his adopted children and heirs. We have an inheritance with Christ because of Christ. We are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. That is, our future is a guarantee. Our future is really bright. And no, it might not be on this earth. But it's going to be glorious. How do I know? Because the Spirit of God dwells within me. I have a down payment on heaven. God Himself dwells within the soul of every believer. We already have a little bit of heaven now. We already know God a little bit now. That is amazing! The Son sent the Spirit to dwell in the souls of every one of His disciples so that they would know God and remember everything that the Son said. The sons and daughters of God have the new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit inhabiting them. We are known by God fully. And we know God. And we are knowing God more and more because the Spirit of God is opening our eyes to know the glory of God in Christ Jesus. We cry, Abba, Father, don't we? Why do we cry, Abba, Father? Because the Spirit of God has revealed to us that we are sons and daughters of God. That we are adopted of God and so therefore, He's my Abba. He's my Father. You get it? Has God done anything? (laughs) Yeah, and it's all based on His character because it's according to His kindness, His goodness, His grace. Throughout it, His character, His character, His character. So who gets credit for our lives? Christian, who's the one that we praise and we worship? To the praise of God's glory. It's to His praise. Brings us to the last section. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Right? Blessed 
means literally worthy of praise, worthy of blessing. Are you God, the triune sovereign God? You are worthy of praise. So why is God worthy of praise? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So God is worthy to be praised because God has chose us before the foundation of the world. God is worthy to be praised because he's adopted us as his children. Why did he do this? Why did he choose me? Why did he choose you if you're a believer? Why did he adopt you if you're a believer? Why? Whatever you do, don't say it's because you're worthy. Because that would miss the whole point of the passage. He adopted you because of His glory. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His glory and grace. Of His grace and His glory. To the praise of the revelation of God's unmerited favor. He chose us. He adopted us to the praise of the glory of His grace. And God redeemed us, didn't He? He redeemed us. He revealed to us that it's all being in Christ. And God promised us an inheritance. Why in the world would God show wicked sinners like us that Christ Jesus is Lord and Everything's going under him. Why would he do that? Jimmy, Bob, Jonathan, Mark, why would he do this, guys? Why would God do this? Why would he reveal this to me? Luke, why us? Why? Answer, to the end that we would be to the praise of his glory. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, wait. You, you, do you see we just answered the why question? We just answered the why question. Why did he pick me? Why did he pick me? Answer to the praise of his glory. He picked this wicked sinner. He chose me to be holy and blameless before him. He adopted me to be His child. He redeemed me from captivity. He revealed to me that it's all about Christ. He promised me an inheritance. He sealed it with His Spirit. And He did it all for His glory. So He gets the praise. Nothing. It's not about me. It's about Him. Oh, can you imagine this? You see why? At about Thursday night when I saw this, I'm like, oh my, this is just unreal. And I've studied this passage numerous times before, and I've seen it before, but I've forgotten it. Because I'm still so fleshly. I still think way too much of myself. God sealed us for glory and guaranteed us a final redemption. Yeah, we're redeemed, but we're still in these bodies of death, so final redemption hasn't happened yet, has it? But why is final redemption guaranteed? (laughs) 
Why do I know I'm going to heaven? Why do I know I'm going to have a new body and I'm not going to sin again in heaven and I'm going to come back and I'm going to rule and reign with Him? Why do I know this is going to happen? How do I know it's going to happen? Why? Well, it's because you're a pretty good Christian, Mike. You do such a good job at preaching. You're the most amazing shepherd in the whole world. Do you see how that's like throwing cold water on the whole point of the passage? It's not because of me. It's for his glory. To the praise of his glory. That's how it ends. That's how it ends. <laughs> Do you get it? So back to our question. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Worthy is of praise be God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did it all in Christ. Where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? He's leading worship. What? He's leading worship. What? Each of the members of the Trinity are all about magnifying the other members of the Trinity. They're unlike man, who's all about magnifying himself. What's the Spirit doing? The Spirit is working through Paul to write this amazing praise him. The Spirit is praising the Father and the Son. And in an amazing way, he just kind of considers himself as the deposit, which is truly amazing. At the end. Oh, folks, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. By the way, who is the one that brought about all these spiritual blessings? He's worked too, hasn't he? Why do I understand? Why do I have eyes to see? Because the Spirit of God has opened my eyes to see. He's the revealer. This is truly amazing. How about this one? True worship, true biblical worship, is spirit-led worship. Spirit-led worship exalts God, not ourselves. That's what this passage shows. 
the Spirit glorified himself in the passage by not even mentioning himself that much. <laughs> Mind blown. Did you get that? So how do we worship biblically? We're led by the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. How do we walk by the Spirit? We do what the Spirit is doing. We worship God. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is worship. Let's worship Him. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for our time together. Lord, we want to sing now and we want to worship You. Lord, we don't want this to be about performance. We don't want this to be about exalting ourselves. Lord, we want You to be exalted. God, Right now, there's people in this room that don't know the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you will help them to see their sin and their need of a Savior and that they would turn to you and that they would know that then you are worthy of all their worship. But, Father, most of us in the room, we exalt and we know that Christ Jesus is our salvation and that you chose us, you adopted us, you redeemed us, you opened our eyes to the truth, you gave us faith in you. And we want to worship you now. So help us, Lord. Let's worship. Help us, Lord. Worship you. Please, Lord, work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we are going to...